Hey Blenders, what is this? A new voice? Oh my god, get excited. I'm filling in for Sean this week and we're going to talk West Side Story and Aaron Sorkin is going to join the show to talk about being the Ricardos. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 194 of Real Blend, a podcast that's just been upgraded to first class. Oh! <laughs> because wow. I'm in the hosting chair. Yes! I'm that's... in the hosting chair. Sean is not here uh, this week. He wanted to be, he was supposed to be, um, and if you couldn't tell from that joke, he's stuck on a plane or an airport right now, and so you, you're stuck with me. He's also stuck for a good reason. So he flew to New York to see the new Matrix film, he did. which is really cool. And he got uh, stuck in the Matrix. They, yeah, they don't have movie theaters in Charlotte. Yeah, he's still, <laughs> yeah. Pl- he's still plugged in. So still plugged in. Here today. Still plugged yeah. in. Sorry it's about that. It's a long movie. Blame Lana. <laughs> uh, on this week's show, West Side Story is hitting theaters and the boys are going to give their reviews. And we have a return guest, a very special return guest, writer-director Aaron Sorkin returns to the show. What a sentence. Incredible. Um, to chat about his new film, Being the Ricardos. It's a fantastic interview. I can vouch for, these gentlemen will vouch for, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I will introduce Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 Chicago. How you doing, Jake? Doing well, buddy. How are you? Welcome, welcome I'm to good. the big I'm chair. good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, yeah, this chair, is, my chair just got more comfortable. Like, my you could, just you could do anything you want. You could take this show in any direction you wanted to. You want to talk about sports? We can, talk, we can turn this into a sports podcast. We can talk sports. We've probably done that too many times for people. We could talk about things that Sean knows nothing about, like Spider-Man and the Snyder Cut. Yeah, we Ooh. should get that in while he's not here, yeah. just to, yeah, to get yeah. that dose. Now and, the time uh, to tell him that we've all seen No Way Home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Currently, he has No Way Home, so, you know, that's that's part of the issue. Um, yeah, and also joining us, home. as he is every week, Kevin McCarthy, Fox 5, Washington, D.C. How you doing, Kev? Gabe, Jacob, good to see you guys. I don't, uh, Gabe, is your uh, video going to be on 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 camera for the YouTube audience? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it is. All right, I, I want to play a, a little bit of a of a game here, um, okay. just real fast for anybody who's watching on the YouTube page, um, okay. or if you're listening on audio and you want, and you can go to YouTube in a safe way if you're not driving. Obviously, I want you to tell me what movie is Gabe's photo referencing? The one that's to Gabe's right. Um, well, technically, if you're looking at the screen, it'd be to his left, but it's on Gabe's right side yeah. of his shoulder. It has an orange background and it has a arm in a cast. Um, so comment below uh, what movie is that in reference to? Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reveal it next week. But I'm oh. curious to see if and anybody it's, it's uh, not knows. Dear Evan Hansen. It's, it's not, not Dear, Dear Evan, Evan Hansen. Hansen. Yeah. Still haven't seen that. I can't say I'm anyone left me enthused to see that but anyway let's get into some housekeeping real quick before we start the show uh hello folks on youtube thanks for joining us be sure to like comment subscribe 
hit the notification bell. If you're listening to us via audio and you want to see that sweet little image that I have over my shoulder, uh, you can head to youtube.com slash Real Blend Podcast and join us and do the like. Um, of course, if you want to put us in your ear holes, wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. And uh, have you signed up for Real Blend Premium? That is our special little show that we do once a week. Drops on Monday mornings, an added little segment where we have fun, play games, tell some behind-the-scenes stories of some of our favorite interviews or certain things that might go wrong uh, in the junket scene. It's a good time. Um, with that, you also get an ad-free version of the podcast uh, and a newsletter from Sean every other week. Um, unless he's stuck on a plane. I don't yeah. know. Maybe he'll he'll never we'll yeah. never see him again. He'll never write another yeah. newsletter. And I gotta convince Jake or, or Kevin. He's to do changed. It. Uh, check the description for for more information and a link on how to support the show by signing up for our premium feed. Do you guys want to talk about the weekly poll? Should we get right into it? I'm down, Ooh, and I'm very excited this because this poll? is this. We have a new Spielberg movie opening this week. We have a that, new. That, that is a cool thing to say, and that brings That's us right to the That's why Sean's not on the show. He's pissed. He's pissed. That's right. Yeah. Because we were supposed to talk about talking to Spielberg, and all of a sudden, ooh, he can't be here. Yeah. All right, we, we asked the listeners at home uh, where their expectations are set for West Side Story, the new Spielberg. Um, and we, we gave them three options. Very high, average, and low. Uh, Kev, where do you think our audience landed? So this is a very interesting question, because I think Jake would agree with me. Uh, going into West Side Story, I was not hesitant. I knew it was going to be good. I just didn't know it was going to blow me away. Like, I didn't know it was going to be phenomenal, because you're also you're taking on a film that won 10 Oscars, 1961, including Best Picture. Um, and it's based on one of the most iconic musicals of all time. So we already know the story. We know the ending and things like that. So I would argue that for people who haven't seen it yet, they're probably falling more in that middle tier um, area only because it's not until you get out of it that you realize. I mean, that's the thing. Like Spielberg is so good or so great at what he does that we just expect him to be great. And I think that's why he's such a great filmmaker. But at the end of the day, you almost forget, not forget, but you're in it and you go and you go, oh, this is why he's the greatest director of all time. And you yeah. just realize it in the movie magic. So I'm going to go. Middle tier, that second average you mentioned. Um, but I think people are going to come out of it on yeah. that first tier. You but are get, correct. Uh, Sorry, Gabe, I was going to ask you. Um, you know, I think we all kind of were in that place where it's just sort mm -hmm. of like, well, how do we feel about West Side Story? Like, right. you know, we, but right. over the last seven days or so, critics have started seeing it. It started mm -hmm. popping up on AFI lists and started winning awards. And so it's amazing. I'm curious as to if that has any impact on how people uh, are excited or not. Yeah, I I think that this this poll in particular was on Monday, so it's kind of like a mix, I think, reactions mm. of before that and when sort of people started hearing the murmurs of like how good it really is or how people think um, it really is who, who have been able to see it so far. Kevin, you were correct. Uh, average expectations won with 40%. Low expectations was second with 35%. Mm. And then 25% uh, of our audience said very high but i think that this is a very healthy this is good i think this is good for mm. the movie i think that average to low expectations for any movie is a great starting place especially a movie that's intending to sort of pick you up sweep you away in this magical sense that a musical um and steven spielberg is very capable of so i think that yeah. the fact that most of the audience has lower expectations tampered expectations um is probably going to be a good thing let, like let Ready Player One, when that was coming out, I was like, oh, sorry, Jake. I was going to say, oh, Ready yeah. Player One, I was like geeked out beyond belief to see that. And then I yeah. went in and it blew me away. West Side Story, I, like, I, I feel like Jake and I were just kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm excited about this. We'll see, let's see what Spielberg does. And then, oh, do you my think, God. 
Do you think it'll hit week one? Do you think it'll have that sort of thing that I, I kind of feel like musicals tend to have, which is the word of mouth legs that sort of, or you particularly know, that, during the Christmas season, I think. Of, yeah, I mean, there's so much coming out this greatest, month. Greatest Showman is a is a once in a lifetime kind of anomaly. I don't I don't think we'll ever yeah, see that, anything like that. That's different. Again. Yeah, um, but West Side the problem with West Side Story in in that sense is that it is a it's a tragedy and it's a really tragic story. Um, and, and I'm not saying that people aren't going to go to the theaters because of that, but I, I do. Well, I'm also curious how much, if we're putting too much emphasis on the original, like mm. I think that's people, what, of, people of my generation, may, maybe people younger, I don't necessarily know. We saw West side story. Um, West side story was like a thing you saw when you were younger and like, you know, when the yeah. teacher would put a, real wheel in the tv throwing a vhs yeah. tape and you were watching well, west side that, story was one I, of those i don't know that that the younger generation even has a concept of the original i, I want to even kind of push that like how and, and and this question was presented to me uh the other day by uh longtime listener friend of the show chase um what percentage of people let's say 30 and under do you think have actually seen the original west side story 30 and under five percent yeah it's yeah. gotta be it's gotta be maybe like, like our yeah our our i would say 15 generation. is where it would top out yeah yeah mm-hmm. so for I think a people lot of people age, this is gonna be my the first time it, i think yeah i, but, I think but, you know within our obviously film bubble obviously it's it's different but i think you yeah. know there, i think a lot of people out there our age who maybe don't have the knowledge of classic cinema that we do mm-hmm. probably haven't seen the robert weiss film Maybe one of the things I've I've noticed in terms of gauging interest in films is like I'll be in my newsroom at work and I'll mention films that are coming out and like and like anchors will be like, yeah, I'm super excited about Spider-Man. I'm super excited about Shang-Chi. I'm super excited, you know, whatever the movie would be that week. But like West Side Story, I didn't feel that urge urgency from people to go out and see it right away. And I think that's the you know, that's the point of our jobs, right? Like we are here right. to explain to you why you should see this movie yeah. um, or not see a movie. But in this case, we, we um, Jake and I'll get to the review uh, after after our interview um, with um, someone very special named Aaron Sorkin. In so. fact, yes, reviews of West Side Story coming up soon. Uh, but before we get there, we should probably chat with Aaron Sorkin about his movie being the Ricardos. What do you think? Should we? I mean, he said he wants to come I- on. I wanted to run it by you guys. Uh, we agree, no, of you course. say yes, yeah. Your returning guest, Aaron Sorkin. Um, if you, before we go there, I will say, if you haven't heard our interview for um, Trial of the Chicago 7 that we did with him, it's another fantastic interview. Um, this one is especially great. He tells some great stories. Um, hmm. He talks a bit about the social network. He tells this fantastic story about hurting himself while writing. I'll leave the tease there because the way he tells it, as you can imagine, Aaron Sorkin telling a story is much better than me telling you the story. Um, and Gabe, so we'll I think right this interview it. is so good, you could say that it's money ball. Oh, well, with that, here's Aaron Sorkin on Real Blend. <laughs> we are the Real Blend podcast. Mr. Sorkin, good to see you again, sir. Welcome back on the show. It's great to be back. And please, Aaron. Aaron, Aaron. Well, uh, I was going to start out with this, Aaron. I don't know if you have heard the news yet, but the WGA just released a list of the top 101 best screenplays of the 21st century so far. And did you know that Social Network got number three? I have to tell you, I just learned that about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, uh, Congratulations. Yes. And uh, uh, thanks very much. It's a, it's a great compliment to be yeah. anywhere near. I think Get Out was one. Mm-hmm. Get Out was yeah. one. To be anywhere near Jordan Peele. That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's an amazing screenplay. So, Aaron, yesterday I had my mind blown a little bit, and I didn't know this. I was asking Javier Bardem a question about uh, 
Lucy, I'm home, that line, which is in your trailer. Um, but also, I didn't know this, and Javier explained this, that that line was never actually said on I Love Lucy. It was. Javier is mixing that up with uh, what was never said on I Love Lucy is, uh, uh, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Oh. Uh, that was never said on I Love Lucy. Uh, Lucy, I'm home uh, was said 17 times during the first season. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, because we were like, there's so, no way that could be such yeah. a part of the, the zeitgeist and yeah. never no. been on the show before. Then, that, then where did it have yeah. some splaining to do come from? Like, Because I would have lost a million dollars on a bet that that was a, a line that was so said all the I. time. Um, so would I. And uh, I don't know how... I'd be curious what the what the seed of that was, how that got started in an age when there's no social media uh, at all. Um, so bad information couldn't spread nearly as quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, the way Javier explained it, which was interesting, was like the the uh, and, and again when he was explaining the Lucy I'm home line, which he was referring to the other line instead, was this idea that the that our culture and our society like just thought this line existed. And, and, and it's an it, interesting it, thing. He's a hundred percent right, but he's referring to the wrong line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, there's a, even a good reason for him making that mistake. Hmm. It's because of all people, Lucy Arnaz told me I, I had written. Lucy, I'm home, you know, just the way you see it uh, uh, in the movie. And Lucy Arnaz said, you know, it's a myth. Uh, uh, Desi never said, Ricky never said, uh, uh, Lucy, I'm home. And I was shocked. So in the next draft, uh, I not only changed it, but I had someone mention um, that, you know, it's a myth. Uh, uh, Ricky's never said, uh, Lucy, I'm oh. home. Mm. And after I turned that draft in, Lucy Arnez's manager had must have had an assistant watch every episode of I Love Lucy and sent me a list of all the episodes in which Lucy I'm Home uh, appears. Wow. I didn't want to say it was your client who told me. <laughs> um, so it was Lucy Arnez made the mistake. It trickled down to Javier. Um, and, and then to me. Uh, and to you. I will be seeing Javier in a few hours at the premiere, and I will respectfully straighten him out. Yeah, please clear that up for me. Tell him Kevin says, I, I am right. going to say, uh, uh, Kevin, you routed you out. <laughs> um, Aaron, That's I love funny. the way uh, that you visualize Lucy's creative process um, because, like you, I'm, I'm fascinated by by geniuses who can uh, almost see how a scene is going to play out and recognize what works and what doesn't work. Um, and I'm just curious if that's anything that you're able to relate to as you're writing a scene. Is it something that you have the ability to also do uh, with a scene as you're writing it? I wouldn't want to compare myself to, uh, uh, you know, to, to uh, Lucille Ball's comedy IQ. Um, I can tell you that I, uh, I'm very physical when I'm writing. I, I, I say everything out loud. I'm, uh, I'm playing all the parts. Um, and I'm I'm doing that because I just want to uh, I, I just want to see if these these lines are speakable. Uh, mm. You know, if an actor is going to be able to uh, uh, to not sound ridiculous saying this. Uh, but in the film and being the Ricardos, uh, yes, when we see shards of of I Love Lucy, which is which is all we see. It's it's I think it's less than a total of three minutes of I Love Lucy. Oh, wow. uh, that's in the film. Uh, mm. We are in Lucy's head, uh, and it—you you put it just right. She's uh, 
She's this comedic chess master who is able to see in her head what it's going to look like on Friday night when it's in front of an audience, what it's going to look like when it's on your TV. Is there a logic problem with this, uh, with this joke, that kind of thing? And that's what gets us into the little black and white snippets. They were brilliant. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Aaron, I would imagine, I think it's safe to assume that Nicole Kidman is past the point of having to audition for a part. But you have to know as a mm -hmm. director whether or not she can play Lucille Ball. So to what degree did you, did you have to see how she was going to do it in advance to know? Or do you just blindly cast her and just hope? I mean, obviously she did pull it off, but do you just have to kind of hope that she can? Well, remember, you're not blindly casting Nicole Kidman. She's got a huge body of work uh, that, that you can look at. Second, um, I, remember, I'm not casting Lucy Ricardo. Sure. Uh, I'm casting Lucille Ball, and I'm casting the character of Lucille Ball that's in this script. Okay? Well, that's interesting. Um, uh, I'm, I'm casting the version of Lucille Ball that, that I've created. Uh, so... Um, what I needed for that was uh, a, a very strong, dramatic actress with a dry sense of humor who could handle language. Uh, and I knew that Nicole was uh, equipped to do all of that uh, when it came to, you know, uh, the little frame by frame recreations of I Love Lucy. Uh, I just didn't think she'd have a problem with that. She did. This yeah. is one of, I think, she one didn't. of the best performances of her career. Yeah, yeah it's uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that because I did not want to be the first person in the world who couldn't get a great performance from Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, did, you definitely did get a great performance. She's amazing in the film. Um, one, uh, the grape scene is incredible. Um, and I was when I in that same interview that I had yesterday with Javier Bardem, Nicole Kidman said that she spent two months just prepping that one moment, which is on screen, like you said, for a very, very short amount of time. I'm just wondering what that dance is with you and Nicole and the idea of like how much prep she put into that moment, how you're creating that moment. It's so awesome. It's so perfect. I had no idea until that morning that we were shooting the grape scene that Nicole had been working on it uh, for two months. <laughs> I had carved out uh, three or four hours that morning where I thought that Nicole and I would be sitting in front of a playback monitor uh, with the oh. scene queued up and that I was going to shoot it uh, by inches um, and okay, look, she gets in with her left leg and okay, let's do that. And she showed up knowing every second uh, of the scene. Um, and by the way, having the time of her life, we tend to think of, uh, because of a lot of the movies that she is acclaimed for, uh, we tend to think of Nicole as um, kind of a, a porcelain doll. Uh, but she loved rolling around in those grapes, and they were, they were real grapes. It was a vat full of grapes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the fun things about making a movie is you can be in a production meeting and say, all right, we're going to need a giant vat full of grapes, and it just gets done. You know? It's <laughs> Hollywood! <laughs> it just shows up, yeah. yeah. That's was awesome. the was the chocolate conveyor belt scene in a trailer, or am I totally imagining that? You're imagining that. I oh. listen. What I didn't want to do uh, was do I love Lucy's greatest hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, I didn't want. Okay, here's Piano Man. And, uh, uh, so I, I I was even a little nervous doing the grape scene. 
because uh, uh, I thought I'm glad I you did. Like that. But I'm glad I did too. Um, uh, so, but we didn't do the conveyor belt scene. Uh, so I won't. I won't ask the. Con- I won't give the context because I want it to be revealed in the film. But I have to ask if the J. Edgar Hoover scene actually happened. You bet it did. Um, okay. uh, wow. It actually happened exactly the way we show it uh, in the film. And if I had a Ouija board and could ask Desi Arnaz any question, it would be. Come on, man. What did you have on J. Edgar Hoover? Um, (laughs) You got a picture of him in a prom dress or something? Um, (laughs) How did you pull that off? Um, uh, But yes, listen, everything that happens in the movie happened. Uh, It just didn't all happen in one week. Gotcha. Um, Oh, that's interesting. That's how the, the whole Red Scare with Lucy ended with the call from Hoover. Wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I assumed it was going to be like a friend of his that he got to, to stand in and fool the, the audience or something like that. But either way, that's amazing. Gee, he could have done that, couldn't he, now that I think about it? <laughs> <laughs> he knew a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I'm going I'm to shift gears for a second. I know a lot okay. of people have, have been presenting the idea to you of the fact that you could continue the story of the social network because of so much has happened with Mark Zuckerberg and, and uh, the developments with Facebook. I'm genuinely just sort of curious, though, how much you have thought about, like, to the point of, like, almost pen to paper? Have you started formulating how the, how the structure of the story would work? And in theory, would you ever be interested in directing it? Um, I, 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 I want to try not to make any news uh, here. So I'll tell you, it is something that I think about. I, I agree with you that there's more story uh, after uh, where the social network ended. Um, I, I have not gone as far as thinking about a structure uh, or anything like that. Um, and uh, if I were to write it, uh, my first choice for director far and away would be David Fincher. I'm Listen, I'm, I'm enjoying directing and I want to do more of it, uh, but I'm not done wanting to work with great directors. Oh, interesting. Fair enough. Uh- Fair enough. That's all. Well, I I would love to see that, but please make that happen. Um, You talk about Jeff. Uh, You're a DP who is absolutely brilliant here, um, who you worked with on social network, obviously. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, you told me yesterday you met him on network. And then obviously uh, you had different DPs in your first two films. uh, And now you're bringing Jeff in. I was curious if you could talk about that relationship, the idea of since you are the writer, since you are like having someone visually tell your story, uh, what was it about Jeff on social network that you saw? saw that kind of like you thought was a good combo with your work i'm just because obviously you saw with the way david directed your writing and the way that all played out yeah can you talk about that relationship it's fascinating to me sure well it was jeff on social network it was jeff on a a, a lot of films i think almost all of uh of david's uh films um plus uh hitchcock um uh, the film hitchcock that visually caught my eye uh of for, for being the Ricardos. Uh, Jeff, listen, I, I think if I have a strength as a director, it's knowing what my weaknesses as a director are. Um, and uh, uh, I, for the most part um, uh, in my work, I've, I've kind of listened to it uh, uh, rather than watched it. Um, the, mm. how, how the dialogue is sounding um, uh, has always been more important to me than the composition of a frame. Mm-hmm. So what I needed was someone who has only been looking at the composition of the frame uh, <laughs> uh, 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 to work with and who would have 
patience uh, uh, working with a guy who couldn't pick a long lens out of a police lineup. <laughs> um, uh, and it, it, it turned into a triumph of, of collaboration. Uh, I, I had said to him, don't do what I tell you to do. Have a better idea uh, mm. than mine. And, uh, and, and he took that and ran and he would, if, if you give your department heads, if you give the DP, if you give the production designer, the prop master, the costume designer, if you give them a sense of ownership uh, over it and a sense mm -hmm. of authorship, uh, you will get their best work. Um, uh, and they'll be excited to show you ideas uh, that they have. So the most exciting times, the most exciting mornings coming to work uh, would be when I would see that Jeff and his camera operators had gotten there before me, um, <laughs> and which meant they wanted to show me something. Um, uh, and it would be, if you can just stage this scene so that they walk by the window uh, when that happens, we can have this beautiful, that kind of thing. Oh. That's how I worked with Jeff. That's you awesome. don't realize it, but Jeff called everybody in at 2 a.m. the night before. <laughs> yeah. That, that one with Javier, that walk, that one or walk and talk is still one of the best shots I've seen in a long time. That was brilliant, man. That oh. was great. And I, I yeah. don't think I did much more than call action and cut. <laughs> I, I think uh, it, it, that, that was a Jeff Cronin with. But you did it uh, very well. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aaron, I, I I have to bring up one of uh, your screenplays I'm obsessed with, which is A Few Good Men, which I'm sure you've talked about uh, mm. at length uh, for an eternity. But there's a line that I always loved, and I'd only just recently heard Kevin Pollack uh, discuss it in a talk show, which is when um, Nicholson... At, uh, you know, goes to the side and, and adds you, Lieutenant Weinberg, in, in uh -huh. such disgust. And Pollock, according to him, didn't expect it and wasn't quite sure, like, why that anger was directed at him in that scene when Nicholson's character theoretically, like, wouldn't even know the, who he is kind of Wait, thing. Wait, Kevin surely understood he was being called Jew boy. Uh, I mean, I guess, yes, but he's, yeah. the way that he told the story, he was like, I got referenced by Nicholson in this scene and I didn't even know it was coming, but he had to know, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I would think. I mean, it, listen, it was a mm. long time ago. Sure. Um, uh, and uh, it, that was my first movie. It was based on my first play and I'm standing on a set with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and I think you know Cruz is in his 20s. Isn't Cruz in his 20s at that point, too? Like, late 20s, but... Yes, that's right. We both yeah. were. Um, yeah. Uh, and on the set that day uh, for Nicholson's uh, uh, scene on the stand, I looked over and Christian Slater uh, was standing behind one of the cameras mouthing Nicholson's speech along with him. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah just kind of trying to get an acting lesson from Jack Nicholson. That was pretty cool. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, I would try that also. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, I want to kind of circle back to something you just said that I thought was really interesting, is that whenever you write, you actually, like, speak the lines just to kind of see if it flows. Of all the characters that you've written, which ones did you have the most fun kind of acting Playing? out yourself before anybody else? Well, I, I mean, I do more than speak the lines. I'm, I'm, I'm getting up and down uh, from my desk. I, I'm walking around. I'll, I'll get ahead of myself. I mean, th this is on those rare occasions when it's going really well, um, uh, uh, when I've got it. Uh, I'll suddenly realize it's been a while since I've typed anything. I've just been, you know, stomping around uh, uh, doing the scene. Um, and it was on one of those occasions, it was the newsroom. 
Um, when in the middle of the night, uh, as I was falling asleep, I got an idea for something that I thought anyway was, uh, was going to be funny uh, uh, for a good moment. Um, and I ran into I have a little office at home, and I ran in there uh, just to, to make a couple of notes so I wouldn't forget it in the morning. But then I was kind of so into it that those little notes just turned into, you know, dialogue. I, I was actually writing it. Um, and uh, listen, the end of the story is I broke my nose writing. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, because I, it, it was in the scene, uh, Jeff Daniels was supposed to lunge at one of his staffers and he's, he's held back by two of his staffers. It's one of those, it's classic comedy, I'm gonna get to, you know, uh, uh, kinds of things. Um, and I had wandered, I was in my little home office and I had wandered into the bathroom because I'm just walking anywhere doing this. And I lunged forward, but there were no staffers there to hold me back. <laughs> so I smashed my face into the bathroom mirror. <laughs> Jeez. And I swear to God, if it had been a Scorsese movie, he would have said, I cut, let's go again, but this time just less blood, uh, okay? <laughs> <laughs> there was blood everywhere. Um, I called a friend of mine, I, I, like the person in your life, you call it midnight um, yeah. when there's blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we all have one of those, right? Yeah, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin and Sean are that guy for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody should have that guy. Um, she came over and she looked at my face and said, my God, we have to get you to the ER. It was all swollen. Plainly, I'd broken my nose. Um, and I said, sure, but just read the scene first. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> so that might be the best time I've had writing. Wow. That's that amazing. An amazing story. Um, it's method right, so, writing. It's method uh, yeah, writing. At that literally. I, I want to see footage of you acting out the F.U. flip-flop scene that Garfield uh, delivers in um, Social Network. <laughs> if, I, 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 I want I'm glad there isn't footage because it exists. Um, uh, I, I did that. You know, Fuck you, flip-flops. Yeah. Um, all right, so Aaron, where they're giving us a minute left, I'm going to end on this. Uh, Pemberton's one of my favorite composers, just yeah. a brilliant, brilliant composer. I, I will never forget seeing Steve Jobs for the first time and learning that Boyle wanted to shoot 1635 and then digital, and then Pemberton recorded like on earlier technologies and going forward. Um, That's right. And he's a brilliant composer, and I wanted to ask about similar question to the Jeff question, the idea of like a composer bringing your your dialogue to life in a way that because the, the character it, the song the music is a character in the movie it sure is it sure is um uh you know the first time i, I jeff has scored all three movies uh that i've directed plus steve jobs uh, i'm sorry not jeff daniel um uh and uh, i remember our first meeting for molly's game uh, uh the first time well the first time we worked together as director and composer uh and i said to him uh, you know, I really, uh, I, I'm not hearing any electronic instruments uh, in this. I, I think it's going to be all acoustic. Uh, and he looked at me and then said, there will be electronic instruments. Um, <laughs> and I realized, <laughs> okay, he's hearing something already. Why don't I go with what the expert has in mind uh, instead of me? All I remember telling him uh, at the beginning, you know, there <clears throat> would end up being notes every day, at the beginning on uh, being the Ricardo's, a full, lush orchestral score, and we're gonna need something, let's just call it Lucy's theme, okay? And it has to be the sound of a love story that didn't end well. Hmm. Um, uh, now, I don't know how a composer 
translates that into musical notes, but he did. Um, ultimately using 67 pieces uh, for the orchestra. Uh, it was recorded at Abbey Road, um, which uh, <laughs> wow. is, by itself is kind of a big deal oh. to me. And, wow. wow. That's amazing. Wow. Uh, and uh, so I love Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. He's amazing. Uh, Aaron, yeah. you were nice enough to, to fit us into your very packed trial of the Chicago, Chicago 7 day. And so we were thrilled to have you return for this. Uh, great talking to you guys. Yeah, we're huge fans of this movie. And uh, thank you for coming by. My pleasure. Appreciate right. it. Take, Take care. care. Take See care. you soon. We are going to have to thank Aaron Sorkin. It's still, you know, I'm going to say, I just want to keep saying his name while he's on the show. You know, Repeat what if he doesn't come guest. back? Repeat, Repeat guest, guest Aaron, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron we have Sorkin. to thank Aaron Sorkin for coming on the show. Um, terrific guest, terrific interview. What an honor. Kev, how'd the interview go for you? I thought he was awesome. And I got to say, I have now have one thing in common with Aaron Sorkin. We both were told <laughs> that I, Lucy, I'm Home is not in the original movie or original TV show. Uh, but he was told by their own child. That's right? really like, funny, uh, yeah. <laughs> by, um, by, uh, yeah, and so it was really, really, uh, that was a funny moment. I, I wonder like, if he, when he saw Javier Bardem, if he was like, dude, you got to stop telling people that. <laughs> <laughs> like, he said, he said, I'm seeing him tonight and I will yeah. correct him is what he yeah. said. So I'm, I mean, I literally, because it was so, it was so crazy because like, so the day before we did that interview with Sorkin, um, uh, we did the junket. Jake and I did the junket for, right. and my Lauren is a huge uh, Lucy fan. So right after I got off the interview with Javier and Nicole, I'm like, texted Lauren. I was like, Do you know that Lucy I'm Home is never said on the show? She's like, What? And I was like, Yeah, apparently Javier Bardem said he had no footage of it. And like the, Javier Bardem's answer was basically about another line that he was confusing. Right. Um, but I just found it hilarious that Sorkin actually had that idea in his mind for when during the script writing process and had to, had to fix it because he was told yeah. the same thing I was told. Is that, <laughs> is that why in, in the film she kind of makes fun of how he says like, like, I don't think I should have to explain myself. And she goes, Oh, explain yourself. And, and he's like, okay, oh. like you're making jokes. And, oh, like and maybe I, and pointing I, that out. Yeah. And I thought that that was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, is that a reference to the line that he says oftentimes? in the show but it turns out it's not in the show mm. but i but i wondered if that was now i wonder if that was sorkin's way of kind of plugging that line in there so then last night um uh, i'm at home and i told i gave lauren an update on the 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 line lucy i'm home i'm like by the way it actually is in the sh in the mo in the show it's 17 times in the first uh, ah. season i think sorkin said but the line that's not in the show is is the is the explaining the do line. And she goes, wait a second, that has to be in the show. I'm like, <laughs> now I have no idea. Like, is Sorkin wrong about yeah. that? I, mean, I have no clue. So let us know at uh, if, at home if you're listening. Is Lucy is that line? Yeah. That, that Fun Sorkin fact: said Lucille Ball in is in no episodes of I Love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. 
If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. We will get to our review of Bing Ricardo's here soon, uh, but first we'll jump right into this week in movies, bypassing the news of the week, because uh, there's a lot coming out this week, uh, both on streaming and in theaters. And opening why go ahead shout out real fast to sean because i know we're not going to discuss this because sean's not here today but sean sure. got a massive scoop from kevin feige um yeah uh, when he interviewed sure. him for no way home uh visit cinemablend.com uh but I if do. you saw happen to see a story about charlie was cox returning as daredevil in the mcu future that was because sean o'connell asked the question now you may have read it read it on a bunch of different oh. sites after it got picked up but that was sean o'connell i was, was mistaken everywhere. i thought i thought uh cinemasins got that one Might me too but uh, <laughs> And that's just an inside kidding. joke because uh, Sean ran across a tweet because when a story blows up, and that's the crazy thing about our business is like yeah, it gets handled it and, and passed along to different sites and like eventually you lose the original source. Sure. And at one point someone Which was quoting I'd like to point out if you're, a, if you're another website listening to this podcast, you should never do. You should never Jake is lose. really good about pointing that out on Twitter. I, I get I very it. because because they'll they'll even when they're be, not your own, which is which no, is very yeah. which is very nice. You're you're very quick to point out your own scoops, but when you see yeah. a Brandon Davis or an Ash, sure. you, you know you're always like, hey, I know this. Well, person. because they meticulously they meticulously always get the quote right that they want to make sure right, but yeah. you can't take an extra two seconds to make sure right. that you're attributing the person who. Oh, it just it happens. It's a it happens. That's yeah. a, that's a, that was a Sean O'Connell so scoop, gonna, by the way. Yeah, honest mistakes, I'm sure. Um, this week in movies, uh, opening up, we have national champions. Has anyone seen national champions? No, no. Um, red rocket. Uh, no, I really want to see looks that. Good. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of the director. It, it was filmed uh, near where I grew up. And so I really want to, um, really yeah. want to check it out. I've got and it's, shout it's sitting in my Sean stack Baker. of screeners. Yeah. Sean Baker's amazing. And I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the other night, uh, I pretty sure the new Beverly, uh, did a special screening for Red Rocket on film. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Because uh, Sean always shoots on film. Sean Baker, a uh, phenomenal filmmaker. Um, I can't wait to see that. I mean, like, I'm super excited to see it. And, like, Jake will tell you, like, we have so many screenings and movies yeah, that I, we're I've watching got... right now. It's so that's impossible. Like... Yeah. Uh, if you're right, on YouTube, we'll... you can see the stack of oh my God. screeners that we have to... This, this is... Yeah. I think we can show these off. These, this is, they send us these uh, You things. can't really even tell what they are. Yeah. How, um, what percentage of those have you seen? Most I mean, of them? some of them, yeah, a lot of them, like Power of the Dog, Boy and Sonic, yeah. yeah, you know, Cyrano, um, we've House seen of Gucci, all these. Like, yeah, yeah. Like interesting. You know, well, is, is Cyrano? Uh, this is a tangent. Cyrano's 
um, uh, uh, release date got pushed to January, but it, mm-hmm. has it had a limited release or something? Is it still an Oscar I, contender? Yeah, I think it's going to because people are still saying it's going to be. A, um, I can't imagine they'd give that uh, up and uh, just release it in January. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, are, are they going to give it to maybe a maybe they'll do it in New York, L.A. like a five I screen? I assume they're going to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine they're yeah. going to want to skip the awards race by a couple weeks. That seems crazy. All right. Uh, Netflix has the unforgivable. Who has seen the unforgivable? Kev, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so this is uh, Sandra Bullock. Uh, obviously, we all, I mean, at Bird Box when she released Bird Box on Netflix, I mean, isn't that like one of the biggest movies they've ever released in their it, in their it, entire? It was pl- number one Red up until Red Notice. So it was number yeah. one for three years. Think about that. Yeah. It was. I mean, Bird Box was so massive. So I mean, obviously, she's found a good home at Netflix in, in that in that sense. Um, and also seems like shout they, out. Seems like a miss that they didn't get her in another movie sooner, right? I know. Being... Um, I was thinking the same thing because Bird Box was so big. Um, yeah. But at, at the end of the day, like you know, going back to Encounter for a second, Encounter had a theatrical release a week before the streaming, and I'm happy that these streaming platforms are doing that more and more. Um, I know it's happening with Don't Look Up. It's happening with. Happening but it's with only Power happening with things that they want to win awards for, right? Yes. Yeah. Like that's the problem. Mm. It's not an. It's not a acquiescing to the sort of needs and wants of the audience or the um uh they're not agreeing that theatrical is necessary they're just capitulating that they have to for awards so it's well um, like power of the dog i think hopeful. was in theaters for like three two or three weeks before it went to, to netflix, netflix netflix has its own model cool. that it's that it, it does and roma over my shoulder was was like that as well i just think that it's it's if if the awards it's only for awards films yeah and it's um it's only sort of uh, it's hanging on the fact that the awards are requiring that. And so it's mm. it's not quite as as good. I'm glad it's happening, but yeah. it's a thing that I think they'd stop doing immediately if they yeah. didn't feel like they like had like, to. like starting in January. Are they still going to be? Good? <laughs> Probably yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. But I do appreciate it now, at least. Uh, and so the Unforgivable is basically Sandra Bullock's character, um, without spoiling anything, goes away for a very violent offense for about 20 years, I believe. Um, and in, in the beginning of the story, uh, we learned that her character basically had to raise her sister um, because of something that happened at home. So when she leaves after this tragic or, you know, horrific, violent offense that she does and goes away for 20 years, her sister is then, I believe, adopted by another family. Um, and so she gets out 20 years later and tries to track her sister down and just to see how she is. And it's called The Unforgivable because... The idea of her character committing a, a violent offense in some way, shape, or form, and then going away for 20 years, then getting out. Um, and then Rob Morgan plays her PO or parole officer, who's actually really great in the film as well. He's also um, in uh, Don't Look Don't Up. Look up. Um, great, great actor. Um, so Bullock is great in it. I mean, it, it's a it's a film that does play with that mental ping pong in your mind of like that moral question of like second chances. Um, one of the things I really fast, found fascinating about the film was it shines a light on the importance of a child's life from zero to five. Um, and I, I mean, it's not that I don't know that those are important years, but like I just hadn't really thought about the impact that that zero to five could have on a child um, in, in, a, in, a, in a way of the way the story plays out. And I think there's a lot of twists. Um, I think, you know, Jake, you've seen it, so you kind of know what goes down in the film, but great performances from Vincent D'Onofrio, um, Viola Davis, Sandra Bullock, Rob Morgan... Did I love the film? Probably, I'm in kind of like a middle area with it. I thought performances were better than the movie overall. Uh, I don't know if Jake agrees, but I think that there, there's, there's some good material in the film. I just didn't think the overall film was great. Um, but that being said, it does really play with this line 
of second chances and forgiveness and this idea of, you know, of bettering ourselves and, and trying to move forward in our lives after after a mistake um, or, you know, some type of accident. I won't go into specific details about what happens in the film, but I mean, she's great. I mean, she's an amazing actor. I always I've always loved her dramatically. I've always loved Bullock comedically as well. I mean, the proposal is, you know, in terms of like, I know those are vastly different films, but she has an incredible range. I mean, I mean, we've seen her do action with speed, obviously incredible with comedies, loved her in dramas. And then we saw her in, in gravity blew our minds, blew all our minds. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm always down to watch her because I think she's a fascinating uh, actor. And I think this story has some things that do make you think about life in a different way. Um but it didn't blow my mind. I don't know where you are, Jake. I'm kind of like middle of the road with it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's you can tell the kind of movie it really wants to be. Obviously, it's a it's a heavy dramatic film starring an Oscar winner coming out in December. But it ain't that. It's 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 not the Oscar caliber film. Um, I thought it was a little dull, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, everyone involved like is doing perfectly fine work. But if I'm gonna watch a movie that is that heavy about such a serious matter, um fine work it ain't gonna cut it for me like i you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna watch like this this type of film about a woman trying to find redemption after being you know in prison for 20 years meh is is it's got it's gotta be it's gotta be more than meh for me jay, to recommend jay, it jay brings up a good point because like at the end of the day this is a very heavy movie and it's like 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 for example the power of the dog right very heavy movie that i do think is worth your time um unforgivable is an interesting perspective because it's not a bad movie it's just not a great movie. And Jake makes an interesting point. Like if you're going to sit there with that material for a few hours or a couple hours, two and a half hours, whatever it is, it better be really good or great. And yeah. unfortunately it's just fine. But the performances, I thought Davis and D'Onofrio, everyone's great. In yeah. It. It's yeah. Just, everyone, everyone, it's you know, just they fine. Show, I mean, yeah. I mean, great actors yeah. are going to be great. Like that's, yeah. that's, you know, but it doesn't, doesn't, it, it can't save a movie. That's just fine. It's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, don't look up the new Adam McKay. I would say hotly anticipated for sort of Adam McKay fans. Yeah, um, and I mean guys, also, I mean, arguably the best cast of the year. Yeah, really impressive yeah. cast. Well, let's get let's get into that. Who wants to kick off talking? Don't think, don't look up. Jake, you both have seen it, right? Jake, I think Jake and I are on the same page in this one too. Um, I so going into this film, the cast and the filmmaker had me super excited. Also, it's it's DP'd by Lena Sangren, shot on film. Lena Sangren shot First Man and La La Land. Brilliant DP. Scored by Nicholas Bertel, who's like one of my favorite composers right now as well. Um, he did the Beale Street score. He's incredible. I think he did Moonlight as well. I yeah, I've got to well. send you. Yeah. I have to send you this uh, podcast. This is a tangent of tangents just for you, Kip. Um, this podcast uh, that I heard about him and about their process on oh. Beale Street. I'll send that to you. Um, I have to look that up. I forget what it was, but it's fantastic. You would love it to hear. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Oh, I love Beale Street and, and Nicholas Bertel is one of my favorite composers right now. Um, so this film is interesting because it what it's saying is so damn important. But at the same time, I think it's saying it in such a heavy handed way that I almost felt like they were like the filmmaker, Adam McKay, was like looking at me and going, please understand this. And I, and I get that. And I totally get that. And like the whole metaphor of the movie is this asteroids coming to Earth. Right. And no one's listening to the scientists. So DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence play these characters who discover that this asteroids come or comet is coming towards Earth and it's going to be a uh, um, an extinction level event. Um, and they have the science to prove it, the exact parameters of it and what it's going to do, where it's going to hit. And no one's listening to it. 
And the idea being that, like, you know, this is what DiCaprio has kind of been talking about for years in terms of climate, uh, climate crisis and people not listening to the science. Um, And that is a very frustrating topic to deal with because Mm -hmm. you are presenting actual data that shows that this is going to happen, but no one is listening. Um, So that premise is interesting to me. My problem with the movie is that, one, it's extremely heavy-handed in in the messaging. Um, I prefer more subtlety and just kind of like playing with metaphors versus like beating the audience over the head with a message. Um, On top of that, Jonah Hill, I thought his character was completely in a different movie. I did did not find that character to be funny whatsoever. He plays the son of um, Meryl Streep's character, who's the president. On the positive side, I really... DiCaprio's always great. This is kind of like going back to The Unforgivable we were just saying. DiCaprio's amazing in the movie. So is Jennifer Lawrence. Um, It's shot incredibly well. I just felt the performances, the characters themselves got lost in the style. Um, I, like, as I was watching it, it's so disjointed and and edited. I mean, you guys all saw, you've seen McKay's work. I mean, sometimes he can get a little jump, or he can jump around a little bit. Remember Mm -hmm. at the end of Other Guys, it became like a, it became a movie about banking at the end of the movie. Um, And I I had no problem with that. I love when a filmmaker can bring in real life topics into a story and make it entertaining at the same time. Um, But I just found this film to be, I'm just kind of so middle on the road about it. I mean, Jake, I don't know where you are with this, but I'm, I was kind of disappointed. Now, that being said, like if I'm giving it a star rating, I'm probably in the three and a half range out of five. It's not bad. Which is not a bad score. But But from an Adam McKay movie with this cast, you really want like a four and a half minimum is like kind of probably where everyone's head was at. Yeah, I might even be closer to a three um, because I just was kind of underwhelmed by... It, the whole overall pr- uh, production. There are scenes in this film that are fantastic. Like DiCaprio mm-hmm. has some gold sequences. I mean, he, um, he has a, basically a, a network, a network moment. moment. He, yeah. he has a, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Monologue. I just, I, I just feel like this could have been better. And I don't know where Jake lies. I just felt numb a bit emotionally. I did like the characters to me were just lost in the right. style and the edit. Um, but again, it's scored well. It's shot well. Sure. It's performed well. It's just, it just didn't do anything for me. I mean, Doesn't Jake, I don't know where you're, yeah. yeah, where are you at? Yeah, I'm basically right there with you. You know, this is, it's, it's in a weird way, like the whole, you know, you know, not to, this isn't a show that gets into politics, but like the, just what happened over the last four years and the Trump administration and everything. And it, it's just made it so difficult to do any kind of political satire because everything that they were playing in the film as a joke, I'm watching this on the screen and going like, that's exactly what would happen. Right. That's, Satire that's, is supposed know, to be absurd. It yes, doesn't feel and absurd. That, and that's yeah. the thing is it, it's it too never realistic. Felt, yeah, it never felt heightened enough to, <laughs> to, to be like a true like Dr. Strangelove level satire, which is what I feel like it was really going for. Um, Did you think yeah. it was heavy handed? I thought it was so heavy handed. Like it, like, it was... It was it was just I've heard, pushing. I've heard people use that phrase a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it, preachy you know, or, or I don't know what the word would be, but heavy handed. Ex- yeah. It's it. exactly the kind of film that I would describe as like where I liked all of the parts, but didn't like the sum. You know, yep. I thought the, the acting was you know really great. I really loved a lot of the ideas presented. Mm-hmm. There were some really whip, like whip smart, like sometimes truly laugh out loud, hilarious lines yeah. that were written, but as a whole, it didn't work for me. And, uh, you know, I, 
I, I am with Sean said the same thing, shared the same sentiment. I don't think I ever truly felt anything like mm-hmm. a, an actual emotion to like the last 30 seconds of the film. Yep. Um, the whole time I'm watching it going, no, I get it. I, I get what you're saying. I, 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 I understand. I understand. It's um, happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, the, the only thing that I, I think I felt throughout the film is just kind of sad is because like the whole time I'm watching this going like, no, this is like, this isn't f- funny. This is what would happen. This is, yeah. this is not satire. This is, this is, you know, this is, you know, if, if, if the truth is, is second base, we've got just, we're, we're stepped right off the base where we got, we just got to lead. We're like, we're stepping toward third. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's uh it, it maybe in, in that sense is why it didn't work for me is because it, it was never removed enough from reality to me, for me to be able to have a good time. And also yeah. I, I would I'd probably argue that McKay probably intended to be like that in the sense of like, it's supposed to be, commenting on a a a terrifying crisis that of sure. people not listening to science kind of thing yeah um and at even the end of that, the day I, like the messaging is great yeah. it's just like it's just yeah and also yeah. too and not, and not even just not even just that you know because i know a huge part of it is is how people are ignoring so many environmental issues out there but it also i don't know about you kevin there are a lot of elements of uh, the vaccine that that it reminded me of and just to people i like mm. people's interpretation of like you know uh, COVID, because there's there's a moment where the the public as a whole starts doubting whether or not there's even a, a comet coming. We right. don't even believe. Well, we haven't seen it. Like, is, how do we even yeah. know it's there? And I was just like, oh my god! Like, yeah. and maybe this is what maybe this is almost a case of like how none of us really want to see a quarantine film right now, just because it's oh, just exactly. like, look, we've we've been stuck in this. Like, well, it's everything a, it's that's a, someone pointed out, uh, some pundit online pointed out. I forget what movie it was around, but it, like everything that's done well has been pure escapism. Like every yeah. theatrically, everything that's done well has been people who are like, send me yeah. to a different universe, not yeah. I want an interesting thought provoking yeah. movie. Yeah. I think actually they were yeah. talking about The Last Duel and they were talking about like, no one wants to sit sure. down and really think about hard issues right now. They just want to yeah. kind of forget everything. So, which is, so I almost would love to revisit uh, Don't Look Up maybe in like 10 years, hopefully after we are sure. a little bit removed from the era that we're in right now yeah, yeah. and look back and go, oh my God, that's hilarious. Remember that crazy well, time we lived through? Well, no spoilers. What's also, go ahead. What's also interesting is that like, I would argue that what Gabe just said uh, about the idea of people wanting to escape, that's why Dune was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Because D- Dune was like an escape, but it was also a movie about the environment. It was also a movie about, there was political that's, undertones in that whole movie, but it was done in an escapism way. That's the beauty of science fiction though. That's why science exactly. fiction is, you know, yeah. one of the greatest, as, as far as social commentary is concerned, yeah. horror yep. and science fiction are like the yeah. best places to do that because you are giving someone something really fun yeah. and exciting. Yeah. But they're not beating you over the head with the message. Like, yeah. it's, like, they it's, can, it's like, it's like floating they can around. Obscure, it's, yeah, they it's can the equivalent of, of like putting issues. medicine in like cheese for your dog. Exactly. Like you just kind of, you just kind of yeah. squish it exactly. in there and say, there you go. Enjoy. Yes. Um, no spoilers, but at any point, does anyone think of calling, uh, picking up a phone and calling bruce willis in this movie oh that you know that, what's that so funny, funny is i'm actually kind of surprised that no one made that joke in the film you would think you know because that's that's where all of our minds go right like you hear yeah. about an asteroid coming i'm surprised like it to me it would make sense that like jonah hill's character would be like oh should we call bruce willis like, like it <laughs> there's a lot of characters in the film that i feel like it would have made sense for them to make that joke all right. Well, that is uh, don't look up. It's it's limited uh, release right now in theaters, but it'll hit Netflix on the twenty fourth for folks uh, who don't have it in their markets. We will move on to um, Steven Spielberg's new film, West Side mm. Story. I am seeing it tonight that we are recording this. We are recording this on Esta Wednesday, uh, the eighth. 
Uh, so, gentlemen, I will let you kick it off. Jake, let us know how you liked West Side Story. Yeah, I, I think um, Kevin's going to be with me, no pun intended, beat for beat, which is that, hmm. like we've said, walked in the theater thinking, okay, like, I'm excited because it's Spielberg and, and nothing yeah. more. And then within the first 45 seconds, I almost wanted to just bow down on the floor and go like, Sir Steven, I'm so sorry that I ever doubted. Like, just, just <laughs> the opening 60, the opening shot. You just go, oh, that's right. You are the greatest director of all time. Like, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, it's just an absolute. I mean, this is a situation where everyone is working at the top of their game. Everybody, mm. like Spielberg, the the actors, the choreographer, the production design, the lighting, the the cinematographer, Kaminsky, who we're going to be talking about. Um, everyone is doing some of their best work of their career, and it all perfectly snaps together like a puzzle where all the pieces are there and nothing's missing and then the picture you stand back and the picture is beautiful um i i know this is blasphemy but i'm gonna say it because i know kevin's gonna back me up it's better than the original yep the original i've I've heard that from a lot of people it's i you know if you if you said i've got you've got to watch one of the two right now i'd say i want to watch spielberg's um Mm -hmm. i think the restructuring of a lot of the songs i think there are a lot of the um problematic elements of the film, particularly the fact that like they had that they used makeup to darken the skin of of actors who are Puerto Rican in the original, like that's not there anymore. Um, I, I mean everything, and and then I mean you know I I, I just I, I'm just, I'm just in awe of this film. I'm just absolutely absolutely in awe of the film. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting how almost even more relevant a lot of the aspects of the film feel today. More so than when Sondheim wrote it in the fifties, in the fifties, and then I think, and then and then uh, Robert Weiss uh, when he directed the film in sixty one, um, just truly one of the very, 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 very best films of the year. Yeah, Bernstein and Sondheim, like that whole collaboration. Jake uh, mentions the first shot. Like this is like this is this movie is a masterclass in immersion. Um, that f- there's a the first shot of the film is this incredible wonder as we're introduced to New York City as a character. Um, and you are thrusted in, thrust into this world, and we meet an actor who I wasn't familiar with, uh, Mike Faced, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, uh, who plays the, 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 the current leader of the Jets, uh, I'm sorry, of the Jets at that time. Um, he plays Riff, and because because Tony is kind of you know off and doing his thing and comes back from prison kind of thing. Um, but I I was so blown away by how immersed I was in that first moment, and it just never let me go. Um, at the end of the day, most people know the story of West Side Story in the sense of like the 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 Shakespearean um, aspect of like the different tragic aspects of it. I mean, it's, it's a commonly told story that we've seen in school and musicals and things like that. Um, but it got to a point where Spielberg had me so hooked that I wanted to step into the screen and just stop jets and sharks from fighting. I'm like, guys, <laughs> sure. just don't fight. You don't have to every, I mean, and it, like, and like, and you, and you almost will that change in your heart. Um, and to me, like that is the pure magic of movies like the fact that spielberg made me almost forget the ending of the story and made me have a hope in my heart that maybe it will change or the outcome will change for the characters to me is the definition of filmmaking and magic and immersion um 
this film has probably my top five favorite Spielberg shots in the history of his career. Um, and there's, and it's in the trailers. You've seen it. They actually did a cool job with it. Um, if you watch the teaser, they put his name on the ground in this shot. Um, but then in the regular trailer, it's not there. Um, but Jake's doing the motion for the, to, to the hands together. Um, if you watch the original West Side Story from 61, the, when the Jets and the Sharks meet for their, for their rumble, it's, the entrance of the two uh, of the two of Jets and Sharks is completely different than the way Spielberg did it here. And this is an example of why this is a Spielberg movie and not a, a remake of the original. This is based on the original material, the music and the lyrics. But Spielberg does this shot in the film where the Jets and the Sharks arrive at the rumble and it's overhead and it's their it's their shadows coming into the frame, walking towards each other and I, you know, we all look at it and go, it's a really cool shot. But in context, the way Spielberg explains it is that in that moment, you're not supposed to know who's a jet, and who's a shark. You just see shadows approaching each other. And there's like an inequality in that moment where, where they are they're the characters and, the, and they're we, we don't know who's who. And it's almost like an interesting moment of like of like. You're just watching these characters come together. Um, and it was just a really cool moment for the audience because like, I found that to be such a, a satisfactory way to shoot that moment. But at the same time, every shot in this film is incredible. Um, every like, live singing moment, there's recorded singing and live singing. You feel it. Like, you feel every bit of it. Um, America Zegler, is a freaking showstopper. Yeah. And I, and I want to mention like Rachel Zegler because she's 20 years old. She played this character in high school in, at 16. Um, she gets cast in the film. I think she films it when she's 17 or 18, essentially. Um, they filmed it in 2019. And she said something in my interview, which I thought was really interesting. She said the, that my character, Maria, is shot with so much love. Every shot that she is in is like is almost heartbreaking, like beautifully heartbreaking um, in a sense of like the, just the way it's constructed the space of the frame the lighting i mean kaminsky we're going to get into him shortly with our kaminsky blend uh, uh today but he's a very he's very famous for hard light right hard like really exposed light in a window when you watch west side story pay attention to the light the way he has light come through a window the way he the way and the way that affects the scene or the emotional content of the scene it's not just because it's a cool shot it's all done thematically and that's kind of the brilliance of spielberg it's like yeah, that shot is cool with the shadows approaching. But what the thematic of it is, is even more insane. So everything in a Spielberg movie, that's why he's the greatest of all time. It's not just to do a cool shot or have it look good. It's all based on narrative. Um, singing, song, everything about this film. The sweeping shots. I mean, there's a shot when we enter the gym for this dance scene in the beginning. And it's this insane one or I mean, the choreography in this film is beyond belief. Love the movie. It's a masterpiece. One of Spielberg's best in a long time. Probably my favorite of his since Munich. Cool. Uh, do either yeah. of you have star ratings yet for it you want to give? I, I would five. do a five out of five. Both five? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm seeing it tonight and I cannot wait. Okay. So um, I, I picked up on, I, I don't know if I picked up, I, I interpreted, there's a shot in the film that for me, I thought, oh, that has to be a fun little Raiders reference. Oh. And uh, Kevin we, said, should, Kevin said, you, you said save, you didn't. Can we save the details of this for? Yeah, but but I, since you're seeing people. it tonight, I want uh -huh. you to. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I want you to see 
one if you see it and if you think it was deliberate or if i'm just looking too far into it yeah i i, I feel like i might have caught this conversation um i feel like there was a there was a raider shot in nightmare alley by the way because you guys had mentioned that and it was top of brain we'll oh yes we'll talk about this later there's one yeah. where i was like is that indiana jones yeah um also can we clarify one thing spielberg genre i mean i know he's he's dabbled with music a little bit like in 1941 and the beginning of temple of doom which is amazing in, yeah but it, but in ter- it is amazing that opening is amazing but in amazing. terms of like jake you now genre, have to love the opening because that walked so that west side story could run so that's a true point but I, you okay gotta, you gotta, well, you, forrest you, gump runs the whole time and sean doesn't have to love that i'm not talking right. to sean i'm talking to you but we have to we have to just take a second just to say like this dude can do anything yeah of course i mean it's he, spielberg but but, but but he just made a masterpiece that's a musical. Yeah. No, he, uh, I mean, yeah, I at, agree. At 74 years old, and this far in his career, an um, album that his parents gave him when he was 10, and then 64 years later, he or whatever, he's directing a film that is coming after a classic. Mm-hmm. And he made it better. And, I, and, and it's not even... It's 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 every shot choice like Spielberg storyboards everything. It's all done. It's so cool how he does yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, he's a, he's a special class of filmmaker that yeah. just understands truly understands yeah. the language. He's not he's not just in touch with a specific yeah. sort of genre or taste or um you know like personal style. He is completely in touch Ugh. with with what the cinematic language is and how each piece yes can be used to mm-hmm. to sort of create a vibe or a yeah. tone or a certain kind of story like it yeah endless countless countless examples across his filmography of him just knowing the assignment as the kids say yeah a way yeah. i always know that i am ex- that i truly love a film is i'm excited for my friends to see it. like game i'm excited yeah. i'm just excited for you yeah. to see it tonight so so i can get your stoke i think sean's seen it tonight too yeah sean's seen it tonight too yeah we can't my mom to see it west side story tweeted us let us know what you think because i'm I'm gonna guess that all four of us are gonna love this by the sound of it um i I always think about because i know whenever we do our top 10 list you do like an amalgamation and we mm -hmm. craft like real blend real blend at least top five um i have a feeling dune's gonna be on there i i would not be surprised if west side story's on there stay tuned to find out my number two of the year right now so Uh uh, we will move on to uh, the film from the guest of the week, um, being the Ricardos. Um, it is another one that's hitting limited theatrical release this week, uh, but it'll hit Prime Video on December 21st for the folks wanting to see it at home. Uh, Kevin, take it away. What did you think of being the Ricardos? I, I like this film. I don't know that I love this film, but I like this film. Um, Performance-wise, it's incredible. I mean, this is like one of those cases where I think Jake and I would agree that like where the performances maybe outdo the film, but like in a way that I still enjoyed the movie at the same time. I just think that as I look back on it, I would have made some different editing decisions. And I think Jake texted me at one point during the film, and I was like, and I was like, that is a question that I had, which actually took me out of the movie as well. Um, just it's just some editing choices, but overall. Um, on getting to the nitty gritty of it, like Nicole Kidman's phenomenal. I mean, it is, it's a masterclass performance. It's beautiful. I mean, she nails every aspect of her movements and emotions, her posture. Um, the cool thing about the film, and you can see this in the trailer, Sorkin recreates frame by frame some of the most famous moments from uh, I Love Lucy. And Nicole Kidman spent like two months prepping for like this 20 second shot in the film where she's doing the grape scene that Lucy did um, famously in the show. Um, 
I just found Kidman like as famous and as well as I know her of her to disappear as Lucille Ball is really hard to do when, when you're that level of an actor and you're that famous. Like it's like like you 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 really have to sit back and consider how great of an actor she really is. I mean, she's Nicole Kidman is so famous and everyone knows who Nicole Kidman is, but her craft is just brilliant. Um, I mean, she's worked with some of the greatest filmmakers of all time, from Tony Scott and you know Stanley Kubrick, everybody. But I just love what she does. I think she gives a shit about what she does. Um, also, Javier Bardem, uh, you know, Lauren and my Lauren's not a hu- is a huge I Love Lucy fan. And while like Javier Bardem might not have like looked exactly like the character, he still embodied the emotion and the and the energy of that character. Um, J.K. Simmons unbelievable in the movie uh is it nina is that um the uh actress who plays uh ethel she's fantastic in the film as well um i had not seen her before she was wonderful in this movie um it's you know it's to me this is more molly's game type sorkin versus trial of the chicago seven and i liked molly's game a lot um i like this film a lot i'm in the i am in the the liked it a lot category. I don't, okay. I'm not in the love it category, um, uh, but there, but there are some great performances and sure. it's, it's an interesting story that I did not know. It takes place over a week while they're shooting an episode of I love Lucy and Lucy gets called out by a radio show for affiliating with the cool. communist party. Right. That's, that's the basic premise yeah. of the movie. So Jake, Jake, where did you end up? Um, I liked it fine. I think I would say. Um, yeah, I liked it more than you, Sorkin, I think. Yeah, Sorkin, if, if Spielberg is my favorite filmmaker, Sorkin is my favorite screenwriter. Um, there are a lot of Sorkinisms, um, techniques that he has started using a lot, uh, I've noticed, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Um, I, it's, it's not one of my favorite scripts of his. I mean, I'm looking at this film through the prism of more so his screenplay than his direction. Um, I, think it's, I think it's perfectly adequately directed i think i actually think he's a pretty strong director um in terms of the actual screenplay itself uh i don't think it touches obviously the the greats that i would call social network or um even like steve jobs or mm-hmm. moneyball um I, I don't think it touches trial of chicago seven um i do think is I, I was not a i'm unlike kevin i was not a big molly's game fan so i do think it's better than molly's game i love um, molly's game I, uh, I, 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 the whole, I was, I was never bored. I was interested the whole time. I do think it's fascinating. Um, I, there, there was a moment and, and Aaron Sorkin confirmed it, uh, during our interview, which is in my mind, I thought, I doubt all of this happened at one time. And just in the sense, and I get, there's always a, cause the, the idea being that the film takes place over a five day period while they're going through all the preps for an episode of Isla Lucy. And while they're doing that, a lot of things happen in their lives. And so the understanding is that all these things really did happen. They just didn't happen all together within those five days. And I kind of suspected that before Sorkin even confirmed it. Sure. And, sure. Uh, and I feel like if I suspected that, then something was ringing false. Um, okay. I just had a hard time believing that all. But you're of that less. Stuff. I would say you fall. You're less a fan of the dramatization of real life events in film versus versus like a straight up telling. I, I, I would you, from your taste. Would you agree with that? That you prefer. You would prefer to sort of get a straightforward story about something than necessarily. Which I think Aaron Sorkin, even in an interview, sort of points out like he's more concerned about telling a good story than he is about telling. 
Sure, uh, but he, know, I mean, but even like, happened. but even so like something like with Steve Jobs, like there's a good chance that like all those crazy ass events that happened in within didn't Steve Jobs once. didn't happen right. on the three days that he launched those right. three events. But it, but, but this one it sticks out to you. Yeah, is it, it yeah. Just, there, there's just felt a little there, too convenient yeah. with Steve Jobs. It felt like I never once doubted. Now that I pause, I'm like, yeah, it's probably he probably didn't have that giant ass fight with his daughter before he launched. Right in the you know, backstage. The, 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 whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I never paused and doubted that it ever happened. It just rang true and felt real and genuine. Interesting. I, um, but it, it, here it felt like God. Like you're telling me all of these things happened within five days. Um, no, it's it's. It, I thought it was. It, it's a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, yeah, her the performances are are all very strong. Um, it's it's middle tier Sorkin for me. But I mean, let's be honest. Middle tier Sorkin is still better than better than any most people could ever yeah. write uh, also, there a- steve, steve jobs is a great example by the way of another version like where like people always like think about like the actor has to look exactly like the character and like i i, I do think nicole kibben actually does look almost just like her like and especially with their movements and everything but like even steve jobs um fastbender doesn't look like Steve Jobs, but he embodied sure. the character. He yeah. became him. Well, that was, um, those and, were that was yeah. a good time because there was also the uh, Ashton Kutcher film, <clears throat> who does actually who looks like Steve look Jobs, like but Jobs. the movie yeah. wasn't as interesting. Right. Yeah, it's kids' yeah. Um Before we move on from this, uh, either of them are they shoe ins for a nomination? I think Kidman she for is. Sure. I, I think actor is too stacked for Bardem. Okay, Bardem is great though. Yeah, and he's I, very and, good, and, and I think that he really really embodied the cat like he became him um yeah but yeah the, the actor category is so so heavy um i could um, see um i think he would be in like one of like the four or five slot but i wouldn't be entirely surprised if jk simmons pulled out a supporting actor nomination interesting simmons is really great in it yeah. like it's like that that dynamic um with with him and nina or i i feel terrible because like, i don't know if it's nina or nina i apologize but um uh she plays Ethel, and she's fantastic in the film. Um, but she, uh, th- that whole dynamic is fantastic. Does Sorkin get a screenplay nomination? Has he ever not? With these he, he didn't. He didn't get one for um. Oh, for directing. I would say he didn't get one for weirdly enough, which I consider to be one of his best. He didn't get one for Steve Jobs. But but he's got one for Molly's Game for Trial. Yeah, I don't think he got one for Molly. He definitely got. No? I, I don't think he got one for Molly's Game. Oh, okay, I could be wrong. Interesting. Steve Jobs is a. He seems like one of those that, like, if he makes a good movie, that he's yeah. in the category kind of thing because yeah. it's Aaron yeah. Sorkin. But yeah, um, all right, yeah, those are the movies uh, coming out in various venues this week. Uh, anything you check out, hit us up uh, on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We are instead going to move on to Janusz Kaminski blend, the uh, legendary cinematographer uh, Steven Spielberg's cinematographer Kaminski. Uh, who wants to go first? Did anyone? Ooh, did anyone pick West Side Story? No, but I'll no. tell you, I thought about it. Yeah, I was. There was a question in my yeah. mind as yeah. well, just because of, just because of the shadow shot. I I think the shadow shot is up there, in my opinion, with the dolly zoom and Jaws, just in terms cool. of the impact it had on me. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Well, Kev, what's your pick then? But I don't think Kaminsky shot Jaws though. It was somebody else. It was a different DP yeah. at the time. Yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah. I think he brought he brought Kaminsky on like later in his career. Kaminsky um, first came on Schindler's List. I Schindler's think. List sounds right. Yeah, yeah. ninety three. Yeah, because he did because Kaminsky didn't shoot Jurassic Park either, right? He, uh, he, no, he did no. Schindler's List. Um. All right. So, am I going first or who's going go ahead. first? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. I mean, I can't. This is such a hard one because it is a hard I mean, one. Like it, Spiel, I love the Kaminsky Spielberg 
era. I think mm-hmm. it, it's like to me, like one of my favorite things about talking about filmmaking, but also the inner workings of filmmaking is these filmmakers who continue to work with the same collaborators. Like obviously Sorkin talked about working with Jeff from Social Network. which It's cool how they all stay together. But Kaminsky and Spielberg have a very special bond. Um, I will never forget seeing Saving Private Ryan for the first time. Um, I, I, I Wait, did all three of us? I think we all three did. Yeah. I chose. I yeah. chose Saving Private Ryan. All right, nice. then we'll, then we'll let's have an open discussion because wow, I, of everything of everything that he that I man know, has done. Right? Well, yeah, it it comes down to to one scene though. Like yeah. the 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 Normandy beach invasion sequence is. I, I will never forget. I saw it at Regal Kiln Creek 14 in Newport News, Virginia. It was 1998. My parents took me to see it with my brother. And I remember sitting in that theater and I don't remember, like I remember people like, like the sound effects of the bullets going through the water. Um, but cinematography wise, the way Kaminsky drops you into that moment, like you are right there to a mm-hmm. point of like uncomfortable immersion in a way where you actually get to try and understand what these guys went through at that time. Now, at the end of the day, it's a movie and we'll never know for sure, obviously, what it was like, it was like to be there. But you'll never be one to one. Yes. Right. But there are a lot of people who've come out and said that that was extremely accurate in terms mm-hmm. of the way it felt um, or like what a battle scene would have been like in World War II. But there's a shutter speed that he uh, he, he messes with the shutter speed in that in that in that scene. And it just, it's so um, unnerving and 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 disjointed and jarring in a way where like it, it, it just feels raw, almost like someone's there on the beach with a documentary film camera filming the real battle for like, like that's what that's the way it's shot yeah and at least it made me feel that way we um you know this is this is favorite and not and not best and this sounds like a best argument but there really is something to the fact that that scene in particular but the movie as a whole has defined and inspired every war movie that's followed oh yeah yeah, yeah. every war, nothing like, like that had ever been done before ever. 1917 yeah looks like saving private ryan you know, like it's it, it, and it, it's still influential to this day because because of that yeah. shutter speed trick, because of the 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 commitment to immersion. It's pretty incredible. It's it, it is it is a defining moment in cinematic history. Mm. Um, And like the whole film is beautifully shot. But that scene, like I can't not pick that because at the end of the day, that is like, you know, I always talk about Nolan and immersion and Dune like. You got to go like that's like probably one of the most immersive things I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's because of the way Kaminsky photographs it and it's shot on film. It feels raw. I mean, it, it is just jarring. Jarring is a great word for it. Like you are there mm-hmm. and and Spielberg doesn't pull you into a safe corner and let you watch it. You are part of that scene um, right. in, a, in a in a way that is very uncomfortable and very realistic uh, and very intense and that to me goes all to Kaminsky and Spielberg just because of the way they collaborated and made that scene work. And obviously the actors as well, but like you are there, you're underwater, you feel you're dodging bullets in your chair. I mean, it is terrifying. Jake. Yeah. I mean, everything Kevin said, but so I'll, I'll take it beyond Omaha beach and, and just say that the rest of that, what is that? The first 20 minutes of the film, the rest of the two hour, 40 minute runtime is also 
differently shot, but Incredible. beautifully shot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just I, I, I think one of the most iconic single images of any Spielberg movie is the the single, the first shot, the the first time you see one soldier come up over the hill and silhouetted before all the other ones do. But just in fact, I actually think it might have been used for the promotional material. But there's a, you know, that that the shot where you know the, the hills just the horizon. And then, and then the one soldier that comes up over it. I mean, just everything, everything about that. And, and then, of course, the last battle when they are actually saving Private Ryan. Um, you know, mm. the, the way that that uh, spoiler alert, Tom Hanks's death scene is filmed. Um, oh. It's just you know, earn this. It's just, I mean, everything about it is. Um, it's done in such a. It, it sounds weird considering it, everything that we're seeing is so horrifying, but it's done in such a beautiful way, and it's done in such a way that I think honors all the people who underwent that and, and, and experienced that and basically says, look, I understand like the horrors of what you went through, but I also want to pay tribute and make this beautiful. Um, I just, I just think that that walking that tightrope of not trying to, um, over beautify it, which mm-hmm. I know is not over, but like make it too pretty in a way, but also not like, let's not grungy this up and make it, dirty and gross for the sake of making it dirty and gross he walks a very fine line of beautiful genuine awe-inspiring cinematic images but also as kevin says throws you in there and makes you feel like you're right there yeah i will i I agree with all of that i will throw out um while i have the floor one that was close one that i always think about uh, when it comes to kaminsky's Cinematography is uh, Schindler's List for sure. Yeah, which that was is, probably is, my number two. And then, yeah, and that's where I couldn't decide. But I was like, is that best? Is that like that might you can make the argument that that might be best? Maybe I. Yeah. I but I will say the, the the scene of why I really did consider it for favorite. It's all. I mean, it's that's a beautifully shot film uh, and a terrifyingly shot film. A gross. You know, it's gross when it needs to be gross. It's dark yeah. and it's um, the choice to do in black and white is you know genius um but the the scene with the cliched scene the scene that's ruined this type of scene for every other movie that could possibly want to do it um is the scene with the girl in the red dress sure that is such a you know it's it's one of those things where like at this point if you saw it you would think you're watching a student film kind of thing like if you yeah. saw that trick not that scene yeah. but that trick or yeah. that sort of po- that yeah. moment and well um, i mean now to, to the point if you see any other director do it you're gonna go oh you're doing the schindler's list thing exactly and it, and it's because of the power of that scene it's because yeah. it wasn't just a um it's not just it's not a it, it's it's the most important moment in the movie yeah um and you have to have a moment like that in order to do something so drastic and so um overly visual because that's not a moment that keeps you in the movie necessarily yeah um not that it's distracting but it is it is overtly you know making you sit up and reanalyze the moment emotionally you're yeah. trying to and i think the fact <laughs> that it's it's such a clever way to um reflect uh, uh, Schindler's mind in that moment of how singularly focused he is on that girl and kind of how that girl is a catalyst for what comes next and what he does um, and how important her humanity in that moment was to yeah. him in, in the film. And I think that that's such a beautiful scene that could um, easily have been missed, easily be uh, you know overdone, uh, but they both of them handle the film up to then and after that to where it really earns that moment. And it is this really great impactful moment that I think is so impactful that it's it, it can't be redone. You, you know, you can do the Jaws shot. You can throw the Jaws shot in a movie, and that is such a visceral effect that it works. You know, the Vertigo shot is is great, um, but the that concept of of color using color that way, I think, is really hard to do uh, and get away with 
um, in the way that that did. So I will throw that out as a wonderful yeah. second place yeah. for me. For but even what's yeah. crazy is that, I mean, other ones I can say, I mean, I thought about Minority Report and Catch Me If You Minority. Can, which he had yeah. two, in the, you know, the... Yeah, I'm Minority very Report much, is a yeah. really interesting, interesting uh, palette. Yeah, I was saying, I, mean, I love that washed that, out palette of... I mean, that overblown hard I light. Love, it's yeah, weird. Like, it's, but then on the flip side of that, it. in the same year, he had Catch Me If You Can, which is very rich and deep mm-hmm. colors yeah. and... More and, period, um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Oh, I love Catch Me If yeah, You Can. Minority Report is really interesting. I haven't seen it in a number of years, but it feels like such a... Um, what a confident decision yeah because that could really easily be dated you know yeah. that could really easily feel out of place but it, like I, I i they used it to make like it feel cloudy. like it was this it's almost cloudy yeah. everything feels overcast and like just yeah. weird contrast and uh but it works it puts you in a different yeah. different uh different world for that weird future hey guys it's sean i'm sorry i could not be there for the episode this week some flight problems kept me in new york but i still wanted to play janusz kaminski blend And looking over my options for uh, choices from his filmography, this is one of the most impossible ones that we've ever had to play. Um, My opinion honestly could change from day to day, but I think that my my choice would always fall into his science fiction. Um, When he's working with Spielberg, he's usually either uh, in the historical realm, whether he's doing uh, Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List, uh, or collaborating with with Spielberg on something science fiction related, whether it's uh, Lost World or War of the Worlds, um, or the the one I almost went with, which is Minority Report. But I'm going to choose AI because AI had a challenge to um, really elevate Spielberg's previous game and bring it a little bit closer to uh, the work of Stanley Kubrick. And I thought that Janusz really helped Spielberg to do that. Um, he captured some really beautiful, intimate moments when uh, young David, with a performance by Haley Joel Osment that's just off the charts great, uh, when young David's with the family and the family's trying to figure out how they can assimilate him into their life and whether or not they're comfortable with him. But then once uh, they let him out into the wild and, and Spielberg and Janusz are able to just really turn up the dial uh, on their futuristic environments, it's a it's a visual playground of uh, robotics uh, and a decrepit future that we uh, you know might be heading towards. Um, it's the Pinocchio you know story, which of course Spielberg is enamored with. Uh, it is the Peter Pan uh, analogy, which Spielberg also is enamored with, um, and and it it does have the right traces of of both Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick, and I think a lot of it is because of the collaborations that Janusz brings to that. It's a gorgeous film, uh, right down to the very last shot, and uh, that's going to be my pick. So, uh, can't wait to hear what you guys pick, can't wait to listen to the whole show, and I will see you guys back together for the main show very soon. Audience picks. Uh, Matthew Usum says Little Giants. Uh, Satish Godi <laughs> says My Nero Report, but um, thinks that maybe West Side Story might take it. So... Maybe they'll write in over the weekend. Um, Harry Lickman um, also says Minority Report. Um, Altaf Nanawadi and Cam McKinney um, say Jerry Maguire. Uh, James Ito says Ready Player One. What a freaking Ooh. filmography. And uh, Samuel Doling says Saving Private Ryan. Thank you for playing along and writing in. What a filmography. It's really not, it's hard to have a, a bad choice for favorite. Little Giants? Uh, well, I think for a lot of people, it's favorite. It's it's a lot about the they see that movie and that's it's a really meaningful uh, childhood nostalgia movie. Okay, and it looks looks great, looks fine, doesn't look bad, 
but it's more about the emotion. It's favorite. That's why we play favorite, not best. We try to out intellectual each other kind of thing. Um, next week, uh, reach out on Twitter using hashtag Guillermo del Toro blend. Oh. Guillermo del Toro blend, which I feel like we had done before, but we haven't. Yeah, I would have um, bet money that we've done that before. I would have thought we did, but you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't make movies that often. Right. Um, so if we missed him once, you know, it could be a while. Uh, let us know on Twitter. Uh, you can write in realblend at cinemablend.com to let us know what your favorite movie from The Incredible. Guillermo del Toro, um, no review this week. Um, Sean is planning to be back for our premium episode, which is dropping on Monday. Uh, TBD on what that will entail, but you can check out the description below um, for information on how to sign up and get access to that extra bit of content that we drop on Monday mornings. Um, but until next time, uh, you can find us on Twitter. I believe most of us on Instagram at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell. I am at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. Until next time, Spider-Man: Far From Home.